Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Hi, uh, my name's Andrew Tran. If you don't know me, um, this, is, this is me, this is the face. Um, I'm, uh, John Harris is away for a couple of weeks, he's on holidays. Uh, I and a few others will have him preaching, just taking his place. Uh, I'm the region leader here, so essentially I look after some of the discipleship groups here. So if you want to get involved in a discipleship group, um, see either myself or any other DG leaders, that'd be great. Um, if you're new here or if you're just visiting, welcome. We uh, love visitors. I hope you feel like you've um, made some connections and hopefully this can be a home for you too. Um, if you, if, if, also with visitors, if, since it's your first time here, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Asking for a Friend. Um, and the, I don't, I, I've never heard of the term asking for, of asking for a friend before coming to the light, but apparently what it means is that you ask, you say these things on the social medias um, when, you don't under, when you're asking something, but are too embarrassed to actually ask yourself. <laughs> so you're just asking for a friend. And what, um, so we've, been, we've got like 13 weeks of this, I think, 12, 12 or 13 weeks. So each week we go through a different question. But before we go through tonight's question, I want to go through something completely sidetracked for a second. Um, if I mention the names Kanye West and Taylor Swift, does that mean anything to anyone? Yeah, just no, yes, maybe. Okay, we have a few nods, mostly silent. That's okay. Um, if you were just taking a quick poll, Team Taylor, hands, hands for Team Taylor. Okay, kind of maybe it's about maybe a third. Team Kanye, Team Kanye, maybe about the other third, and then who does has no idea what I'm talking about? Well, that's that's we're, we're evenly split. That's good. That's good. Um, that's cool. Like, I'm not hating. I'm just, I'm just, that's, um, oh, let's, I want to rewind back to September 13th, 2009. Does anyone think, know what I'm talking about now? September 13th, yeah. So, involving Kanye West and Taylor Swift. So, this is the MTV MVA Video Music Awards. And so, Taylor Swift wins this thing called the Best Female Video Category for You Belong With Me. That's like kind of her first songs um, that really made it big. And during her acceptance speech, Kanye comes up to the stage and takes the microphone and says the iconic line... I'm going to let you... Finish. Okay, I-, I will quote it verbatim. Yo, Taylor, I'm real happy for you. I'll let you finish. But Beyonce has one of the best videos of all time. <laughs> Of all time, and she says that, and then the video goes to like Beyonce's face, and she's mortified. Like, what the hell are you doing, Kanye? Don't talk. Don't bring me into this. Um, and there are reports of Taylor Swift going back behind stage and crying hysterically. And that was eight years ago. Eight years has gone by, and it has escalated a lot. <laughs> So much shade has been thrown around. I didn't even know the word shade meant. Apparently, shade is like, it's like the cool kid term for disrespect, like you're being shady, so you throw shade. Um, and so Kanye apparently did apologize to Taylor, um, but then Taylor wrote a song called Innocent on her next album, which speaks, like, pretty much talks about that particular thing. And then Kanye retracts his apology, go back, go forward a few years. You, got, you have Kanye uh, mentioning Taylor uh, in a very demeaning way called Famous, and then um, Taylor is really, really, really annoyed by this, and so when she grabs her Grammy, she talks about 
this particular. She doesn't talk about it specifically, but you, we all know that it's talking about Kanye. And then last year, Kim Kardashian, Kanye's wife, um, gets into the fray and posts up a video about Taylor Swift up, um, agreeing to Kanye to release a song that was actually demeaning about her. So there's all this disrespect going from one party to the other. Um, and you can see that it's just, it just reeks of shadiness. Um, and it's interesting because like, when we look at this, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's celebrities and stuff, and we don't really, a lot of us don't really care for celebrities, but you look at it and, it's, and people were getting hurt. People were actually getting hurt really, really badly. Um, it, might look personal, it might look petty, but for them it's quite personal. It's quite real. Um, and in our world, especially um, inside our church, we as a human race do not do forgiveness well. Um, we don't do forgiveness well at all. Um, hurt and suffering is part of the, uh, it's a universal human experience, right? Which leads us to tonight's topic of forgiveness. The question I was given was, how do I forgive when I've been badly wronged? What does that mean? And there were a bunch of associated questions that came along with it. How do I love someone that I don't like? Um, am I allowed not to like someone? Do I have to be available to everyone? Do I have to invite everyone to my event? How do I talk to someone who has talked behind my back? If I've confessed to God my sin, do I have to confess to the wrong person as well? Am I still forgiven? What, does it, what should I even forgive? And the list goes on and on and on. The crux of the question is, how do I relate to someone when there, is an imp- when there is an imbalance in the power in the relationship? And this power imbalance is seen no more obviously than in hurt and forgiveness. I want, I want to stress today that I won't be able to address those, all those questions specifically um, and I encourage you, if you are in a DG, or if you're not in a DG, get in a DG and actually discuss these questions. Um, because everyone's situation is a little bit different. Everyone's situation will require can- like wise counsel. And I encourage you, the best place to do that probably here is in a discipleship group. My hope and prayer for you tonight is that we come walk away with a, a framework of understanding um, Christian forgiveness and um, what what that really means, um, and how the gospel really impact us and change us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Um, I pray that tonight, as, I, as we look at your word, we, um, that you unpack it for us. I know that forgiveness is a touchy topic, um, but I pray that we be open to your spirit. I pray that um, you do a mighty work in our hearts. I'm just the motivator. I can't do this myself. I'm, we know that you are the one that changes, Lord Father. I pray that we not just be hearers of the word, but effectual doers. I pray that whatever I speak tonight is, um, is if it's not of you, read it off from us. And I pray that the words and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Thank you for everything you've done in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to flip over to Matthew 18. Uh, We're going to look at verses 21 to 35. Uh, If you are in a DG or if you want to do study for yourself, um, um, a good place to start also is probably verse 15, but we're just going to focus mostly on 21 to 35 tonight. Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screen ahead. Uh, Here we go, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sit against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he was brought to him uh, one, uh, him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his ma- could he, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, "Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything." And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him one hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and and said to him, You Uh, Then then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you for all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. How do we forgive when we've been so badly wrong? Well, the short answer really is, look at Jesus. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's just the short answer. We can be done, mic drop, let's go, let's go get some Zamberos right now. <laughs> it's that simple. But the question is, like, if it's that simple, why do we not still forgive? If it's that simple, why don't we still forgive? And I think... The reason is that we, we just overlook Jesus. The answer is Jesus, but we just overlook it. And I can see this in myself, having been like grown up in the church and going to Sunday school and having some sort of church background. Um, and it's pretty even like reading this. When I, when I first read this, this kind of parable just went over the top of my head. You're just familiar with it. We're just used to Jesus. Um, and you, when you hear the story, you think, oh, the, the quote-unquote moral of the story is to forgive people. It's the right thing to do, right? If forgiving is the right thing to do, why don't we do it? I want you to tuck this text away, and we'll be back for that. For all you A-typers that are outlined today, um, we're, how we're going to explore this question um, how do I forgive when I've been so badly wrong? Uh, we're going to first look at, look at reasons why we don't forgive and what the Bible says about that. Reasons why we might forgive and what the Bible says about that. And why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much better. 
If giving is the right thing to do, why don't we do it? C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, says, everyone who thinks that forgiveness is a good idea until they have something to forgive. <laughs> forgiveness costs us. Right? Forgiveness is a cancelling of the debt that is due owed to us. Forgiveness is hard because you've been hurt. And to forgive, it feels like you, you, you're being hurt even more. Uh, Tim Keller in his uh, book, Reason for God, forgiveness says, forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone, um, however, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you, or, when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. And you not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation and opportunity, but now you forgo the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You're absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it on the, out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. This is what, largely why we don't forgive. But over my reflection in the Word and through my own experience as well, um, I wanted to, I've just collated a few kind of reasons as to why we also don't forgive as well and how we might justify in our own hearts. Um, one, we feel like um, we are indebted. The bigger, the bigger the hurt, the more entitled we feel towards this debt. Two, we want justice, we want retribution. Like, we've been hurt, this needs to be fixed. We want power. Holding a grudge is power. It's the ultimate trump card over someone. You can manipulate them to do whatever you want. Four, the reason why we don't forgive is we believe we are morally superior. We, we would say, if they were more spiritually mature, this wouldn't have happened. If this person wasn't so bad, this would have not have happened, right? We elevate ourselves. And five, this is the biggest one, I think. It sounds kind of contradictory, but just bear with me. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to, not forgiving someone, we, we want to feel good about ourselves. And holding on to, and this is done through holding on to bitterness and self-pity. To illustrate this, I want to use a Star Wars illustration. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was looking, when I was uh, writing the sermon up, I was, um, as you do on Star Wars memes, just <laughs> just just looking at Star Wars memes. Um, but I think this is a really good actual visualization of um, of my inner self. Yeah, I think of myself sometimes when I don't want to forgive. I think it's like. Like, you, do you know Lord Palpatine? Like, Emperor Palpatine at all? No. And he's like, good, good. Let the hate flow through you, kind of deal. That's, that's my inner self. <laughs> yeah. It's not just the voice acting. There's something about hating someone that feels kind of good. Um, it's delectably satisfying. Um, but I would argue for us, it's not just delectably satisfying, but it's also quite literally devilishly satisfying. We gratify the cravings of our flesh when we hold on to bitterness. And 
that feels disturbingly good. When we hold on to bitterness, we justify our self-centeredness. It gives us reason to seek attention for our own selves, to grab pity and sympathy from others. And to some degree, this is understandable. You've been hurt. You want to be comforted. Um, In some ways, you've been hurt. Every time you get hurt, it's always emotional. And then there's other consequences, whether it be uh, financial or physical or psychological or even spiritual. But we want to feel this immediate comfort from our hurt. And here's the problem with all these reasons that we have for holding on to bitterness. It's got to do with our sinfulness. I mean, justice is not bad. Wanting justice is actually a really good thing. We're all made in God's image, right? And God is a just God. Part of us wants justice, right? Holding a grudge against people to protect yourself is not a bad thing, right? Protecting yourself is not a bad thing. Like, it's quite natural. And yes, if you compare it between you and the perpetrator, you may be the more mature person out of both of you. And being comforted after being hurt, that's, that's not a reasonable expectation. Some of these reasons are legit, but the, prob- the problem with holding on to these reasons has got to do with our sinfulness. We are corruptible people. We are sinful human beings, and we distort these reasons and disguise our bitterness as these things. And because of that, we cannot dish out justice fairly. We cannot call ourselves morally superior. We cannot stay in our state of bitterness uh, for our own gratification because that leads into a vicious cycle of hate, sin, and depravity. For us to take up justice ourselves, that will require us technically to be, that will make us the ultimate judge. And that will require us to be the ultimate perfect being. That will require us to be God. Quite frankly, you're not God. Right? If you think about it, holding on to bitterness, this is a statement of idolatry. Um, If you're actually concerned with actual justice, the God of the universe is the only one that can actually properly judge and perfectly execute that out. And if we did have the right to judge, we would stuff up the judgment anyway, because we are not perfect beings. This is kind of illustrated um, really well by Samuel Jackson, Samuel Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction. We, um, in, in, there's a scene where he goes up uh, to a guy named Brett, and he kills the guy. Um, because, he's a, because Samuel Jackson's character is a hitman, he kills the guy, and as he's, as he's killing him, he's quoting scripture, claiming, uh, claiming to be God. And this character might look evil and stuff, but in the inside of us, we look at this and we live vicariously through that. And we see that and we're like, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of want to be like that. We know it's bad, but it kind of appeals to our inner sinful nature. Romans 12:19 says, "Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. Does, vengeance, 
You know, justice doesn't just belong to the vigilante or Batman. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me, right? It rightfully belongs to God. Even Jesus says this himself in 1 Peter 2, 22 to 23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Even Jesus Christ entrusted God the Father to justice. Justice is coming. I'm not saying that some of some of us who have been hurt, that's not legitimate. It absolutely is legitimate, but justice is coming. And that justice is far more righteous than we could ever help, than we could ever hope to execute ourselves. But God is not just a judge. God is not just a judge. You don't think God doesn't know what you don't think God knows what you've been through? He he knows. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Right? We humans are the apex of his creation, the only things in the entire universe made in his image. He's, when he sees us get hurt, he gets, he's hurt. And, and for me, like, I can't even imagine what that's like for God because as a DG leader, I see if I hear some of my, my friends or my DG people and they get hurt or ridiculed or whatever, I get, I get angry. And I'm a sinful, I'm a sinful dude. Like if I get, if that happens to me, what is what is the anger of God like? What is the wrath of God like? Our God, our Father knows. Moreover, God is not just one who knows what we're going through. Jesus knows Himself. Uh, Hebrews 14, uh, 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We are weak in forgiving. But Jesus knows. God is not just a judge, but he's also a comforter. He has also given us his Holy Spirit who is called a helper and a comforter. When we forgive, what we're actually saying is that God is enough for me. I want you to think about that for a second. And to go home and think about this. Is God enough for us? Unfortunately, I would say that for some of us, we would say no. Um, mankind overall has said no, God is not enough. Um, and we want to spend some time exploring this for a second. So let's say that we know, let's say hypothetically we said God wasn't enough for us. Now what? What do we do with that? What do we do with forgiveness? What will be enough of a reason to get over bitterness and resentment? What does culture in the world say in terms of reasons to forgive? Um, not all these reasons are bad. Not everything from the world is inherently evil. But um, there are a few nuances that I want to really clarify today. Um, interestingly, uh, I was reading a psychology review uh, and written in 2005, and the psychologists have found a substantial correlation between decreased stress, improved heart health, reduced anxiety, reduced pain perception, and an increase in overall happiness, that all of that substantial correlation with the ability to forgive. Forgiveness is good for our physical and mental health. Yeah, I'm a physio. This is actually a good thing. 
we should look after ourselves. God actually says we should look after ourselves. That sounds like a pretty decent to forgive, right? What about self-help? New age spirituality. Um, we live in an age where this is plastered all over the place. Um, I just, uh, from, for this particular talk, I just typed in forgiveness in YouTube, and you can do this yourself as well. Uh, there's a guy named Sammy Rangel. He does like a 20-minute TED talk on the, it's something called the power of forgiveness. I'm not quite sure what his background is, but um, he has a powerful story coming out of abuse, neglect, and, and crime. Um, and there's a really good, this is a quote that he, it's essentially encapsulates his story of forgiveness. We do not have to be victims of our stories or in the way that we tell our stories. But interestingly enough, stories are the only way out, and it is us who creates those stories. We hold the power to change those stories and what they represent. I invite you all to consider if it would serve you well to create a new story and a new path, and to please remember that the things that held you down will one day hold you up. Sounds okay. Sounds, this doesn't sound bad, right? Um, let's, let's talk about something a bit more, um, more mainstream, Oprah. Um, Oprah uh, says, forgiveness is accepting that it has happened to you, and not accepting that it was okay for it to happen, but accepting that it has happened, and now what do I do about it? It is giving up hope that the past could be any different, and when I got that, when I understood that, it took me to the next level of being better. It's interesting we hear things like this, and it doesn't, it doesn't sound super bad. You, you make it sound like really bad, Andrew. Like, okay, just give me a sec. Um, we hear pithy statements like, you can, you can forgive because you have the power within yourself to forgive. You just need to find the will, right? You need to find the will, the strength, the courage to forgive people. Or just forgive and forget, right? Because forgiveness is the right thing to do. This all sounds like good teaching, but... I'm not denying that these people have gone through horrific experiences to come to these conclusions. But I believe that these approaches to forgiveness are actually flawed and inadequate. Um, I would argue that our first world culture has accustomed us to comfort and that we actually really miss reality. And the reason why I say this is because if you take these philosophies to forgiveness and apply them to, say a kid in Syria who's lost his entire family through beheadings through Islamic State, or a Jew in a concentration camp in 1942 Nazi Germany? Could you apply this to a nine-year-old African girl who has been kidnapped, raped, and sold into sex slavery? Or for something closer to home, an Aboriginal person being stolen from their home? Could you apply those philosophies to that? I personally think it's blind arrogance for us to think that we can simply forgive for the selfish and self-righteous reasons of our health and self-actualization. That's why the gospel is so much better. It applies to everything, not just first world or third world people. It applies to everyone. We'll go back to the parable of Matthew 18. Um, as I said, we skip over texts like this because we hear it all the time. And I, I just want to quickly run on a few different things. Um, in terms of context for this text, 
Jesus is talking to Peter, and, G- and Jesus had been previously addressing uh, conflict in the church and how do you, how do you deal with that. Um, but Peter reckons he's got this, this ace up his sleeve. Um, Peter is like, surely I can get out of forgiving someone. So he says in verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So really, if, if you look at the, the cultural context of this, Peter, he knows the Jewish tradition that you forgive generally about three times. So I see the Jewish... If I'm Peter, I'm saying, I see the Jewish tradition for three times and I raise you seven, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I see your seven and raise you 70 times seven, which is 490. <laughs> So Jesus is really blowing his expectations for, for forgiveness out the water. He has no, he, he doesn't understand forgiveness. Jesus proceeds to share the parable of a servant who owes a king 10,000 talents. Now for us, we don't know what 10,000 talents really kind of means, but I was reading a commentary, and if you equate the average laborer to about $15 an hour of work, 10,000 talents is about $6 billion U.S. dollars. That's a, that's a lot of cash money. <laughs> um, even if, like, you can't pay that back. Even if you were Steph Curry and you had, 20, like, he just, Steph Curry's an NBA player, and he just got signed, like, the largest contract in the NBA, which is $201 million for five years of playing basketball. Even if you were that guy, it would take you 147 years to pay back $6 billion, right? That $6 billion is the gross uh, domestic product of the Maldives. It is a debt you cannot pay back. doesn't matter how much you sugarcoat it, you cannot pay it back. Jesus is using 10,000 talents here to show how much this guy is in debt. And yet the king forgives him. It's interesting that later on in the story, the servant goes back and, and he starts to choke another servant who owes him 100 denarii. And 100 denarii is about $12,000. It's, it's not a slight again. It's not, it's not like a small thing. It's quite a, large, um, quite a large amount for him. But, and I expect the servant to be hurt as well, but it's when you compare the, the amount of debt for our reference, six billion versus twelve million? No, no, twelve thousand. It's literally a drop in the ocean. Why did the servant not forgive? He was defiantly ignorant of the mercy that was shown him, and that's—I believe—that's some of us, if not all of us. Yeah, we know Jesus died for me. Yeah, we consider, but we don't really consider the weight of that statement, right? We don't really truly consider the cost, the gravity of our sin, and how serious that cost was to God. And God takes this idea of um, forgiveness very, very, very seriously. When you truly experience God's mercy and forgiveness, it can't. It can't help but change you. God takes, it, uh, God takes forgiveness seriously to the point that if you are unwilling to forgive, it points to the reality that you probably aren't saved. You're probably not Christian. And that's a sobering word. That's really hard for us. For 1 John um, 
uh, 2.10-11 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. It blinded his eyes. The Bible talks about forgiveness and our relationship, no, the relationship between forgive, our forgiveness and salvation all the time. Let me just proof text them a few, a few things for you. Matthew 5 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 6 2, we are instructed to pray, Forgive us our debts as we, have forgive, as we forgive our debtors. And continues in 14 and 15, For if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And let's go back to Matthew eighteen thirty four 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, what these verses are saying is that it's not saying that your, your salvation is dependent on your ability to forgive. Scripture is quite clear in terms of how we get saved. Scripture is clear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But these particular scriptures are very serious about forgiving. Forgiveness is the visible outworking of a person who has been forgiven. Giving forgiveness is an indicator that you have been forgiven. If we claim forgiveness from God, if we claim to be Christian... Yet we belittle forgiveness when it comes to others. We honestly can't claim God's forgiveness. Our unwillingness to forgive is an affront to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. John Piper puts it in a really sobering way. Um, God treats us, he, they quote him, God treats us in, ex, in accordance with the belief of our heart. If we believe it is good and beautiful to harbor resentments and tabulate wrongs, wrongs done against us, then God will recognize that our plea for forgiveness is sheer hypocrisy. For we will be asking him to do what we believe to be bad. And this is the kicker. It is a dreadful thing to try to make God your patsy by asking him to act in a way that you, as your action shows, esteem very lowly. It's a burn, man. <laughs> Forgiveness is the fruit of the forgiven. And this, as I said, this is a hard word for us. But it's not all gloom and doom. There is good news. If we have really actually experienced God's forgiveness, we are new people, given new desires, given a new heart. We are changed people. We are freed people. We are free to forgive. Ephesians 4.31-32 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. This, the context of this verse, it talk, the previous few verses was talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, which has been freely given to you through Jesus Christ. 
He's created you after the likeness of God in true... Um, he's, he's created you to be holy. So be holy like him. In Col- the same thing in Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Put then on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the fruit of the forgiven. So what does that mean for us then? Does it mean that once I become a Christian, I will always be able to just 100% of the time forgive? I don't, I don't think it means that at all. I think like the Christ, in the Christian journey, like anything in the Christian journey, we are projects in... In, in process. Um, we don't automatically stop sitting, but by the grace of God, our hearts are being renewed daily, our minds are being changed, and we are able to forgive like Jesus forgave. Our struggle to forgive is not the same thing as an unwillingness to forgive. I want to say that again. Our struggle to forgive is not the same thing has an unwillingness to forgive. And for some of us, we might need to go home and rediscern ourselves and like, am I, am I struggling with this forgiving thing with someone because I just really don't want to do? Or no, I'm actually struggling because I, I still, um, I, I've just been hurt so badly. The fullest, of experience, the fullest experience of forgiveness is where the perpetrator is approached and repents, and the victim gives forgiveness and then there's reconciliation. But the thing is that forgiveness is not itself reconciliation. Forgiveness is not just seeing the repentance from the perpetrator. The fullest of experience, the fullest experience of forgiveness involves these things, yes, absolutely, but they're not prerequisites for forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is us taking on the debt. You might have trust issues. That's perfectly understandable. Trust may have been broken. But that doesn't mean you can't live peaceably with people. Romans 12.18 says, If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Living peaceably doesn't mean that you trust immediately. If you're hurt, like, trust takes time to build up. But if you're not willing to forgive someone, yeah. Providing that repentance is shown, trust can be built up over time. But we know that's a slow process. Living peaceably means to forgive. Means letting, us letting go of the debt that was made against us. And if we struggle with forgiveness, I put, it to, I put it to you that we need to constantly reacquaint with ourselves with the gospel every day. That's the only way we can actually forgive, to remind ourselves of how much we have already been forgiven. So in ending tonight, I want to challenge you, instead of trying to forgive, let's actually look at Jesus. Let's remind ourselves of the precious gift that Jesus Christ is to us. Not going to lie, there are, we, we, 
forgiveness requires effort. It is a task we do undertake. But let's fix our eyes on Jesus, right? who's, the perf- who's the founder perfecter of our faith. All we need to do is really look at him on that cross, really. Being nailed to the tree, being mocked and ridiculed. And yet he says to his father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. If you're a Christian, or if you're not sure if you are a Christian, if, you know, so if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure you're a Christian today, I invite you to really ponder about this idea of Jesus' forgiveness, especially if you're dealing with trying to forgive someone yourself. Um, Jesus is offering you the cancellation of a debt that you cannot pay back. The price of that, the price of that debt is death. But that price was paid by Jesus for you. And the, thing, the crazy thing about it, it's not just a not just a cancelling of the debt to like zero, but he actually exchanges his uh, Jesus actually exchanges his righteousness for your for your sin, and you are in right standing with God. You have an eternal relationship with God the Father, who made you. This is the forgiveness you need. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And this is the only way to truly forgive. If you're a Christian, I want to end with this quote from C.S. Lewis again. To be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Forgiveness is the fruit of the forgiven. Let's keep our eyes not on ourselves and our ability to forgive, but on him who has forgiven us for so much. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, just Jesus. Thank you for the immeasurable worth that Jesus is. That it's crazy to think that you would give up such a precious gift for us. But you did to forgive us. Uh, for your glory's sake. I pray that if we are wrestling with this idea of forgiveness, that you open our hearts and soften it, and that you show us, you show us Jesus' love. Let us be tender to your love for us. I thank you that when we do forgive, that it is actually a testimony to who you are. Our ability to forgive not, does not come from us, it comes from you. It testifies to the world of your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, I just pray you do a work in us. and um, I just thank you for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.